Section 10 of The Science History of the Universe, Volume 8. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in February 2021. The Science History of the Universe, Volume 8. Edited by Francis Rold Wheeler. Part 1 pure mathematics chapter five geometry part two the most important of the remaining theorems of book one are those treating of parallels which will be considered later and the pythagorean theorem book three treats of circles book four of the inscription of regular polygons in the circle one of the famous problems of the ancients and which leads to the usual method of determining the approximate value of the ratio of the circumference to the diameter of a circle the remaining books through book nine are mostly concerned with the geometry of lines that is arithmetic treated geometrically the last three books are concerned with the geometry of space and culminate in the regular solid figures which may be inscribed in a sphere while euclid has been the guiding star of geometrical textbooks for twenty centuries yet the tides of darkness have been so dense at many times that only the faintest gleams of light were discernible about fifteen seventy sir henry Savile, warden of merton college strove to arouse an interest by a course of lectures on greek geometry which were published in sixteen twenty one concluding he says by the grace of god gentlemen hearers i have performed my promise i have redeemed my pledge i have explained according to my ability the definitions postulates axioms and the first eight propositions of the elements of euclid here sinking under the weight of years i lay down my art and my instruments Kajori. Savile says in the beautiful structure of geometry there are two blemishes two defects i know no more these were the assumption of the fifth postulate and the theory of proportion the non-euclidean geometry has vindicated euclid's position in the first and it has taken five hundred years from the time of Seville to appreciate the theory of proportion the purpose of euclid was to build up with a minimum of assumptions a logical structure in which reason is the sole factor in such a system the figure that is drawn is simply a guide to the thought and might be entirely dispensed with unless it is used with care it may by subtly involving intuition ensnare one into error the following example of the result of such misleading is well known ABCD is a square. AB is bisected perpendicularly at E. DF is drawn equal to BD. AF is bisected perpendicularly at G. The two perpendiculars meet at H. CH, DH, AH, and FH are drawn in the triangles ACH and FDH ch is equal to dh ac is equal to fd ah is equal to fh 
therefore by the theorem of equality of two triangles having sides respectively equal the triangles ACH and FDH are equal, and the corresponding angles ACH and FDH are equals. But angle ACH is equal to angle BDH, from which angle FDH is equal angle BDH, a magnitude equaling a part of itself which contradicts the fifth common notion, that a whole is greater than any part of it. This elimination of observation from the geometry taught the schoolboy has led to attacks in recent years on the advisability of the use of Euclid as a school text. J. J. Sylvester, one of England's two greatest mathematicians, in answer to Huxley's statement that mathematics is that study which knows nothing of observation, nothing of experiment, nothing of induction, nothing of causation, gave voice to the following. I should rejoice to see Euclid honorably shelved or buried deeper than air plummet sounded out of the schoolboy's reach. The Perry movement, inaugurated in England by John Perry in 1901, has in a measure resulted in departing from Euclid so as to make geometry more of a subject of experiment and observation. The second great mathematician of this period was Archimedes, born at Syracuse in 287 BC, studied at Alexandria, returned to Sicily, and died in his native city in 212 BC. Aside from his mathematical contributions, his mechanical ability was marvellous. Archimedes was killed during the sack of Syracuse by the Romans under Marcellus. A soldier found him in the garden tracing a geometrical figure in the sand, as was customary in those days. Archimedes told him to get off the figure and not spoil it. The soldier, insulted, thrust him through with his dagger. The figure of a sphere inscribed in a cylinder was cut on his tomb in commemoration of his favorite theorem that the volume of the sphere is two-thirds that of the cylinder and its surface is four times that of the base of the cylinder. Cicero rediscovered the tomb in 75 BC and gives a beautiful account of his search in Tusculan Disputations, Book 5, 23. Shall I not, then, prefer the life of Plato and Archytas, manifestly wise and learned men, to his, Dionysus, than which nothing can possibly be more horrid or miserable or detestable? I will present you with an humble and obscure mathematician of the same city, called Archimedes, who lived many years after, whose tomb, overgrown with shrubs and briars, I, in my questorship, discovered when the Syracusans knew nothing of it, and even denied that there was any such thing remaining. For I remembered some verses which I had been informed were engraved on his monument, there was placed a sphere with a cylinder. When I had carefully examined all the monuments, for there are a great many tombs at the gate Achratme, I observed a small column standing out a little above the briars with the figure of a sphere and cylinder upon it, whereupon I immediately said to the Syracusans, for there were some of their principal men with me there, 
that I imagined that was what I was inquiring for. Several men, being sent with sighs, cleared the way, and made an opening for us. When we could get at it, and were come near to the front of the pedestal, I found the inscription, though the latter part of all the verses were effaced almost halfway. Thus one of the noblest cities of Greece, and one which at one time likewise had been very celebrated for learning, had known nothing of the monument of its greatest genius, if it had not been discovered to them by a native of Arpinum. The work on the quadrature, or finding the area of a segment, of the parabola is one of the most important works of Archimedes. The proof of the principal theorem of this work depends upon the method of exhaustions invented by Eudoxus, and which is the forerunner of the modern powerful implementation of analysis, the calculus. The lemma is thus stated by Archimedes. The excess by which the greater of two unequal areas exceeds the less can, if it be continually added to itself, be made to exceed any finite quantity. The theorem itself asserts that the area of a segment of the parabola is equal to four-thirds of a certain triangle inscribed in it. Another important work, The Sphere and the Cylinder, containing sixty propositions, was sent to his friends in Alexandria, in which he purposely misstated some of his results, to deceive those vain geometricians who say they have found everything, but never give their proofs, and sometimes claim they have discovered what is impossible. The work of Archimedes is of particular interest at the present time, owing to the discovery of a lost work by Professor Heiberg in Constantinople during the summer of 1906. The purpose of this work, which is addressed to Aristosthenes, is well summed up in the following statement, and makes clear the method by which Archimedes arrived at his discoveries. I have thought it well to analyze and lay down for you in this same book a peculiar method by means of which it will be possible for you to derive instruction as to how certain mathematical questions may be investigated by means of mechanics. And I am convinced that this is equally profitable in demonstrating a proposition itself, for much that was made evident to me through the medium of mechanics was later proved by means of geometry, because the treatment by the former method had not yet been established by way of a demonstration. For of course it is easier to establish a proof, if one has in this way previously obtained a conception of the questions, than for him to seek it without such a preliminary notion. Indeed, I assume that someone among the investigators of today, or in the future, will discover by the method here set forth still other propositions which have not yet occurred to us says professor smith perhaps in all the history of mathematics no such prophetic truth was ever put into words it would almost seem as if archimedes must have seen as in a vision the methods of galileo cavalieri pascal Newton, and many of the other great makers of the mathematics of the Renaissance and the present time. Very little is known of the life of the third member of this great trinity, Apollonius of Perga, the great geometer. 
it is supposed that he was born about 260 bc and died about 200 bc he studied at alexandria for many years and probably lectured there his great work on the conic sections contains practically all of the theorems of the textbooks of today the work was divided into seven books perhaps originally into eight and while very tedious is characterized by strict euclidean rigor a cone is the figure generated by a line passing through a fixed point and constantly touching the circumference of a circle if o is the point and c the circle the line oc turns while still passing through o so that point c traverses the circle the complete cone consists of the symmetrical figure above o as well as the figure below and both are extended into space indefinitely a conic section is a curve which is formed by passing a plane through the cone one of the best methods of quickly constructing these sections is to immerse a wooden or tin cone in a vessel of water the line formed around the cone by the surface of the water will be the section there are three general cases which arise besides several special ones as will be seen by the inspection of the figures which are vertical cross sections that is the eye is supposed to be on a level with the surface of the water and sees this surface as a line s in figure one where the plane s cuts the two opposite generators pc and pb an ellipse is formed if the plane s happens to be at right angles to the axis of the cone as in one a a circle is the result in figure two the upper half or nap of the cone has been lowered that is the cone has been revolved around p until the axis pb has become parallel with the plane s the curve formed is an open curve and is called a parabola if the cone be still further turned until both naps cut the water as in figure three the hyperbola is the resulting curve this curve consists of two branches both of which are open if the plane s passes through the point p during this investigation the degenerate conics are formed one gives a degenerate circle or ellipse which is a point where the radii have become zero two gives a line which may be regarded as made up of two coincident lines in three these lines become distinct and intersect at p it is thus seen that the parabola is the limiting case through which the varying ellipse passes as it merges into the hyperbola these three curves may be defined by a single law of motion of a point in a plane and for purposes of study this is more convenient a point so moves that its distances form a fixed point f called the focus and from a fixed line d d prime called the directrix are in a given ratio e the eccentricity of the curve now the form of the curve and the class to which it belongs ellipse parabola or hyperbola depends upon the value given to e in the figure f is the fixed point p is the moving point on the curve 
and d d prime is the directrix or fixed line in figure one e is less than one and the curve is an ellipse it is seen that it is symmetric to the line y y prime and therefore must have another directrix d d prime on the right and also a second focus f prime in figure two e is equal to one and the curve is the parabola this curve constantly recedes from the line yet ever curves to it it may be thought of as the left half of an ellipse of which the right focus has been pulled out to the right an infinite distance it is an open curve that is the two arms of the curve never join again in figure three is seen the third case where e is greater than one the hyperbola with two branches in the generation of this curve the point starting at a prime recedes indefinitely downward to the right it next appears coming back on the upper half of the left branch passing along that branch to an infinite distance and finally coming back along the upper right of the right branch it is convenient sometimes to think of the two ends of the curve being joined by a single infinite point and thus preserve continuity in the motion of the moving point the two branches of the hyperbola constantly approach without ever reaching the two intersecting lines o x prime and o y prime in the figure that is the curves are said to be asymptotic to these lines which are called the asymptotes of the curve in the full page figure is seen the relation which exists between the foci and directrices of the plane figure and the cone itself the plane a b cuts the ellipse from the cone if a sphere be dropped in the cone so that it will be in the cone and just touch the plane the point of touching or tangency will be a focus two such spheres are possible the small one above the plane and the large one below the foci are f and f prime these spheres touch the cone in circles if planes be passed through these circles as ac and bc they will cut the original cutting plane ab in the lines am and bn which are the directrices the futility of the argument that it is vain to cultivate truth for truth's sake is well seen in the case of the conics of apollonius this monumental work lay dormant and did not reach fruition until seventeen centuries after when kepler found the paths of the planets to be ellipses and newton subjected to law the wanderer of the celestial seas the comet whose path is an ellipse if it is a regular visitor of the solar system if the path of the comet is not an ellipse it is a parabola and it comes but once under the influence of the sun and then forever loses itself in the vastness of space antiquity has left us three famous problems the quadrature of the circle the duplication of the cube called the delian problem and the trisection of the angle or more generally the problem of the inscription of the regular polygons in a circle the quadrature of the circle popularly known as squaring the circle 
is the problem of finding the side of a square which has the same area as a given circle the philosopher anaxagoras occupied himself with this problem in his prison hippocrates of chios made one of the most famous attempts at its solution which resulted in finding a loon or surface in the shape of a crescent bounded by two arcs which was equal in area to a square archimedes showed that the problem is equivalent to finding the area of a right-angled triangle whose sides are respectively the perimeter of the circle and its radius and further showed that the ratio of these two sides is more than three one-seventh and less than three ten seventy-one-th. this ratio is indicated by the greek letter pi introduced by w jones in seventeen o six and crystallized in use by euler archimedes method of determining its value was by inscribing and circumscribing polygons of ninety-six sides and by comparing the ratio of the perimeter of the circumscribed polygon to the radius determined a value greater than pi and by using the inscribed polygon he arrived at a value less than pi the present textbook method is to determine a formula or algorithm by which the perimeter of a polygon of two n sides may be found from the perimeter of the polygon of n sides by carrying this process on indefinitely the ratio may be found to any degree of approximation the ancient egyptians took the value 256 over 81 equal to 3.1605 3 was the value used by the early babylonians and also by the jews 1 kings 7:23 2 chronicles 4:2 a quaint picture is found in the beginning of halley's edition of apollonius and again reproduced in heath's volume the legend below describes aristippus the socratic philosopher shipwrecked on the island of rhodes where he found the sand of the seashore covered with geometrical drawings his exclamation was good cheer i see evidences of the man himself ludolf van keulen devoted a considerable portion of his life to the computation of pi dying in sixteen ten he requested that the results to thirty-five places which he had obtained be cut on his tombstone archimedes chose to have his favourite theorème graven on his tomb as also james bernoulli who while investigating the properties of the equiangular spiral discovered the remarkable way in which curves deduced from it reproduced the original curve and he requested that this figure should be carved on his tomb with the inscription eadem numero mutata resurgo perhaps the limit of perseverance in this direction was reached by william shanks who in eighteen seventy two carried the result to seven hundred and seven places some idea of the accuracy of this value may be inferred from professor newcomb's remark that if the circumference of the earth were a perfect circle ten places of decimals would make its circumference known to a fraction of an inch in seventeen seventy lambert discussed the statement that pi is irrational 
that it cannot be expressed by a terminating decimal or the ratio of two whole numbers in seventeen ninety four legendre proved the irrationality of both pi and pi squared hermite in eighteen seventy three proved e the base of the natural logarithms to be transcendental that is it is inexpressible as a root of any algebraic equation with integral coefficients and in eighteen eighty two lindemann gave a similar proof for the transcendentalism of pi euler derived the relation between e and pi expressed by the following formula which is one of the most remarkable in mathematics e to the power of i times pi is equal to minus one a method of approximating pi is by the theory of probability on a plane a number of straight lines are drawn parallel to each other and a units apart if a stick of length l less than a is dropped at random on the plane of these lines the probability that it will fall across one of the lines is 2L divided by pi times A, from which, by a large number of trials in which the number of times is recorded that the stick crosses a line, an approximate value of pi is obtained. In 1864, Captain Fox made 1,120 trials and obtained pi is equal to 3.1419 ball in 1685 kochowski gave a simple construction by which the length of a semicircle may be constructed with an accuracy correct to four decimal places at the end point a of diameter ba draw tangent af take the angle ace equal to 30 degrees and ef equal to three times the radius draw bf and which is the required line halsted the value of pi to fifty-two places of decimals is pi is equal to three point one four one five nine two six five three five nine eight seven nine three two three eight four six two six four three three eight three two seven nine five o two eight eight four one nine seven one six nine three nine nine three seven five one zero five eight circle squaring has not entirely died out but the mathematical knowledge of the cyclometer of today does not extend much beyond elementary arithmetic for the lack of the requisite knowledge to appreciate the problem has been substituted a dogged perseverance which should achieve results if applied in a calling more befitting their abilities professor de morgan whose experience with the several cyclometers certainly puts him in a position to know their frailties especially those of james smith of liverpool says the feeling which tempts persons to this problem is that which in romance made it impossible for a knight to pass a castle which belonged to a giant or an enchanter the rinderpest of geometry cannot be cured when once it is seated in the system 
all that can be done is to apply what the learned call prophylactics to those who are yet sound when once the virus gets into the brain the victim goes round the flame like a moth first one way and then another beginning again where it ended and ending where he began smith's value for pi is three one eighth which he attributes to a french well sinker of which the morgan says it does the well sinker great honour being so near the truth and he having no means of instruction further speaking of smith he says he is beyond a doubt the ablest head at unreasoning and the greatest hand at writing it of all who have tried in our day to attach their names to an error common cyclometers sink into puny orthodoxy by his side the behaviour of this singular character induces me to pay him the compliment Achilles paid Hector, to drag him around the walls again and again. Again, as to Mr. James Smith, we can only say this. He is not mad. Madmen reason rightly upon wrong premises. Mr. Smith reasons wrongly on no premises at all. His procedures are not caricature of reasoning, they are caricature of blundering the old way of proving two is equal to one is solemn earnest compared with his demonstration the origin of the delian problem which occupies a large space in the history of greek geometry is given in a letter from eratosthenes to king ptolemy energetes eratosthenes to king ptolemy greeting there is a story that one of the old tragedians represented minos as wishing to erect a tomb for glaucus and as saying when he heard that it was a hundred feet every way too small thy plan to bound a royal tomb let it be double yet of its fair form fail not but haste to double every side but he was clearly in error for when the sides are doubled the area becomes four times as great and the solid content eight times as great geometers also continued to investigate the question in what manner one might double a given cube while it remained in the same form and a problem of this kind was called doubling the cube for they started from a cube and sought to double it while then for a long time every one was at a loss Hippocrates of Chios was the first to observe that if between two straight lines, of which the greater is double of the less, it were discovered how to find two mean proportionals in continued proportion, the cube would be doubled, and thus he turned the difficulty in the original problem into another difficulty, no less than the former. Afterward they say, some Delians attempting, in accordance with an oracle, to double one of the altars, to rid them of a pestilence, fell into the same difficulty. And they sent and begged the geometers who were with Plato in the academy to find for them the required solution, and while they set themselves energetically to work and sought to find two means between two given straight lines, Architus of Tarentum is said to have discovered them by means of half-cylinders, and Eudoxus by means of so-called curved lines. It is, however, characteristic of them all that they indeed gave demonstrations, but were unable to make the actual construction, 
or to reach the point of practical application except to a small extent menachmus and that with difficulty perhaps the most beautiful solution aside from that of architas is by means of the sissoid or ivy-like curve invented by diocles this curve is formed by drawing the horizontal diameter of a circle and drawing pairs of equal half chords perpendicular to this diameter through the upper extremity of one of these chords and the opposite end of the horizontal diameter is drawn a chord the point of intersection of this chord with the other one of the pair of half chords is a point of the sissoid. End of section 10